Welcome to Brown Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Well, you may be wondering some things about Barah Ministries. Who is the God we worship? What is our source of truth? And who is our enemy? Well, we start our Bible lessons this way every time because the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, to write the same things again and again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. It's no trouble for me to remind you of the keys to a real spiritual life, our God, his word, and knowledge of our enemy. Who is the God that we worship? We worship a triune Godhead. One God who expresses himself to mankind as three separate, distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each of them has the same power. Each of them operates with the other on the same page. God the Father is the author of the plan of God for all creatures In God the Father's plan, he provides. He surrounds you with beauty. He offers you satisfying work. He makes available delicious and healthy food. He provides companionship so you won't be lonely, both through himself and through others. And he does all these things in the face of our disobedience, our disloyalty, and our failures because of who he is, not because of who we are. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, a promise, God the Father will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches for those of you in union with Christ Jesus. God the Son, the Lord, volunteered to execute God the Father's plan. Recently, we celebrated his birth, and we were reminded of who he is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold. The Virgin Mary shall be pregnant with a child, and she shall bear a son. And Joseph and Mary shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. Jesus Christ is God, and there is no human being who has come to the earth who has been called God with us. There is one and only one way to heaven. You invest your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to save you. Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and by believing in him, you instantly have the resurrection life, eternal life, Zoe, the Zoe life in his name, and he is willing to save you 
from eternal misery. We worship God the Holy Spirit. He is our mentor and teacher, our guide, and he is the rudder of a Christian's life. He is fully God, equal in every way to God the Father and God the Son. And we just celebrated one of his many divine accomplishments as Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 reminds us. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph and before they had sexual intercourse, she was found to be pregnant with a child by the agency of God the Holy Spirit. Only God can facilitate a virgin birth. All right, well, what is our source of truth? As Christians, we can develop a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire Godhead through the daily study of the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible is a single book with a single author about a single person, Jesus, with a single theme, unconditional love. The Beatles were right. All we need is love. The 66 books of the Bible took over 1,600 years to write and assemble with chapters written by 40 different writers, and they were people as depraved as you and me, people like Paul and David and Matthew and Peter. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All Scripture is God-breathed into the writers of Scripture, and Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be mature, totally equipped for every good work. Love the truth of the Word of God. Love the total equipment that it gives us. We need to, as believers in Christ, schedule time every day to study God's Word and to let it set the direction for your day. Amen? It is the best thing that you can do for yourself. All right, well, who is our enemy? God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period of time. He is the enemy of believers in Christ as well. In the art of war, the best, most used, most studied treatise on competitive warfare and the war Bible for every military organization in the world, author Sun Tzu, says this, if you know yourself and you know your enemy, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know only yourself and not your enemy, for every victory you gain, you will sustain a defeat. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will succumb in every battle. The biggest enemy of believers in Christ is ignorance of the enemy. Your spiritual life and your soul are a battlefield on which an invisible war is being waged. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, Our struggle as believers in Christ is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. We like to think it's against human beings because human beings can be so mean to us and, and, and can mistreat us and reject us and hurt us. But that is not who our struggle is against. Our struggle is against the demonic rulers, against the demonic powers, against the demonic world forces of this darkness in Satan's kingdom. Our struggle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you know your enemy? 
Do you know your enemy? I will tell you that most Christians today don't even think Satan exists. That's how good he is. He has convinced most Christians today that he does not exist. Well, I will tell you the Bible makes it absolutely crystal clear that he exists and that he hates us and he wants to destroy us and that he's a deceiver and that he is the accuser of the brethren and he is accusing us day and night in the Supreme Court of Heaven. Paul warns believers in Christ. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30, he says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which God the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the pastors in the disciple group to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 29. I, Paul, know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Acts 20, 30. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. That is exactly what happens in every church all over the world. There are people who rise up within ourselves. You know, it's bad enough thinking about the people who might come in from the outside. But the, the attack comes from the inside because Satan is a master of using ignorant believers, ignorant of his schemes, ignorant believers in Christ to destroy relationships, to destroy churches, and to destroy anything valuable to us. Don't be his victim. Today's Bible lesson, what is God's message to you in the first passage of Romans? What is God's message to you in the first passage of Romans? Paul's letter to the Romans is a gift from God, and it's a gift from God to you. Our study will be directed by God the Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit who directed Paul's writing of the letter, the one who guides us into all the truth, as the Lord said of the Holy Spirit to his apostles. In today's lesson, we'll reflect on some things the Apostle Paul says in the opening of the letter. And while Paul's writing in this first passage may simply appear to be a greeting, because it is, it's important to realize and to connect to the way God sees us for our own edification and to take what Paul is teaching us in that first passage and apply it to ourselves. As we do regularly as well, honoring the Lord's command, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Get your bread, get your wine, settle in to a place that's free from distractions and join us. Today we'll learn that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated the meaning of sacrifice. Well, let's hear some music. Prayer is a critical part of the Christian's life. It's the chance to have a direct conversation with God. It's something we need to do every day. And it's best to pray in an environment free from distractions while also sending prayers up to our God throughout the day in everything we do. And we are confident God hears our prayers and he answers them, yet not always on our time frame. In John chapter 16, verse 23, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Whatever you ask God the Father, he will give it to you in my name. So we aren't discouraged by God's time frame. As Danny Goki sings, if your prayers aren't answered, maybe you just haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Hey. 
Have you been praying? And you still have no answers. Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping that things would have changed by now? Have you cried all the faith you have through so many tears? Don't forget the things that he has done before. And remember he can do it all once more. It's like the Phenomenal song. He had the solution 
before you had the problem. Oh, hello. Danny Gopi, let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the power in the Word of God. Thank you for using it to search the depths of each of us. Thank you for letting the Word reveal to us exactly who we are. And thank you that it is not a condemnation experience. Instead, it's a way to feel enlightened and wise. Let the word in today's lesson penetrate in such a way that we are edified by it and help us to answer the unanswered questions in our lives as Christians. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what is God's message to you in the first passage of Romans? What is God's message to you in the first passage of Romans? That passage is Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul's letter to the Romans has 433 power-packed verses. And more than anything else, the letter to the Romans is about the wonder of God. The Lord is mentioned every 50 words and over 150 times. His amazing grace is the dominant theme and the prevailing thought in the letter. Romans is about faith in the gospel message of God to the human race. It's about your salvation. It's about the good news and what the Lord did at the cross to ensure that whosoever can be saved. In the last lesson, we reviewed the structure of Paul's letter to the Romans. In Romans chapters 1 through 3, it highlights the depravity of man and we know that the depravity of man, the, the condition of spiritual death, incurs the wrath of God, something that you would never want to experience in a million years, not even for a second. The first three chapters are the bad news that most people don't want to hear. The, these chapters turn people off because people think of themselves differently than they are. People think of themselves as basically good, but God has a different opinion, and he shares that opinion in Romans chapters 1 through 3. But then, right after that, in Romans chapter 4 to 8, God's grace saves all who want deliverance from that sin. And despite our depravity, it is by God's grace that we are saved. Through faith in Christ alone, God wants us to bring our resume to him. Well, what is our resume? He greets us and our accomplishments with open arms. Well, what are our accomplishments? Drug addiction, sexual immorality, alcoholism, abuse, broken relationships, pride, and a completely ineffective mindset. He welcomes that with open arms. And there's even more than that. But the worse we are, the better God likes us in grace he welcomes sinners, and he invites sinners to be saints. Romans chapters 9 to 11 tell us that God still has a plan for the Jews. The Jewish race has been set aside for a time for rejecting their Messiah, but the Lord has not forgotten the Jews, nor has he forgotten his promises to Abraham. You see, there are racial Jews, who are Jewish because of whom they were born to in the human realm. But there are spiritual Jews. Those are the Jews who are 
the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob understand that Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah, that everything that was predicted about him in the Old Testament came true. And there were so many of them who just ignored it. And that is not something that you can ignore. And in spite of that, the Jewish race is in, in, at the top of mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every promise that he made to Abraham will be fulfilled. Romans chapters 12 to 16 communicate the will of God for the human race. What does God want us to do to ensure that we reflect him well? How does the Holy Spirit guide us to maturity? You don't have to get yourself to spiritual maturity as a believer in Christ. It's the responsibility of God, the Holy Spirit, and he has never failed at it. And if you try it, you will fail at it. I guarantee you will fail at it. If you tried it for one day, you would fail at it. But what does God see when he looks at his believers? He sees a finished product, a product that he molded. He is proud of his children. And you may not see your finished product, but he does. He loves you unconditionally. He forgives you totally. And he is always extending grace as you learn to experience the things that he wants you to learn in this life. And what does he want you to learn in this life? He wants you to learn how to be tough. He wants you to learn how to stand up in the face of any rejection, especially the rejection of those closest to us. He wants you to stand up to that and look it dead in the face and say, don't worry, about, I'm not worried about your rejection of me because the Lord Jesus Christ is crazy about me and has been since eternity past, has been before I was even in my mother's womb. And I am not worried about what some fallible human being is thinking about me, no matter how affectionate I am towards you, no matter how much I love you, no matter how close I am to you, it is God's opinion that matters. Nobody else's opinion matters in the matter of me. Now, we're studying first the first chapter of Romans. Well, what is the structure of chapter 1? It is uh, verses 1 to 7 opens with the salutation. And what is the salutation? Salut- <laughs> what is the salutation? It's a ism, ism ship. What is the salutation? It's just a greeting. And what Paul ought to say is, Dear Romans, every time you write an email, you give a salutation. Dear whatever. I don't know where we get the dear from. Because everybody that we write to isn't dear. But it's a salutation. But this isn't just any salutation. And that's why I wanted to spend a little more time on verses 1 to 7 today. Because I want you to see what that salutation is and what the power of it is. And what it's asking you to consider about yourself. Then there's the affirmation. And we'll cover that in the next lesson. The affirmation, verses 8 to 13, where Paul is congratulating the Romans and telling them what his affection is for him, for for them. And then the main message, verses 14 to 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I can't tell you how many believers in Christ I've seen over the course of my lifetime who are uh, uh, embarrassed to tell people about Jesus. I was telling a person about Jesus last night and he said to me, I don't need that. Okay. That's your choice. You don't need it. I need it. I'm weak. I need it. 
But do you think I'm going to let a comment like that bother me? I'm not. Do you? Because that was God the Holy Spirit talking to him through me. And what did he say back to God the Holy Spirit? I don't need that. Okay, we'll see. You do need that. And the fact that you don't know you need that is a problem for you. And then the final part of chapter 1 is the indictment against the whole human race, and that comes in verses 18 to 32. And you want to talk about power-packed verses. Those verses are a punch in the face to every lie that has ever been told about God. Well, what if, what if you know, what about the little children in Africa? Well, what if you, people didn't know about Jesus? <clears throat> You're going to find out in that section that everybody knows about Jesus Christ from the inside and from the outside. He is amazing at getting his message across to people. And people, many people, the broad road that leads to destruction, many people just reject it. And they don't want to admit it because people don't like admitting it when they're doing something. They want to blame everybody else. They want to point. They want to talk about how it wasn't them, but it was them. And this indictment makes it crystal clear and then goes into the next two chapters and makes it even more crystal clear. There is no creature who's righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the righteousness that comes from God is available to every one of those creatures so that they can be saved. Well, last week, we studied the first passage of Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And there are a few more things to consider before we move on. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is written by me, Paul, a bondservant and voluntary slave of the Christ, Jesus. By calling, I am an apostle and a set-apart one by God the Father for the dissemination of the gospel message of God the Father to the Gentiles as a minister. Holy smoke. Holy smoke. That verse is so packed with so many questions for you as a believer in Christ. Okay, let's start. What is a bondservant? Are you as a believer in Christ a bondservant? It's a person who realizes that God is the boss. The minute you became a believer in Christ, you were admitting that God is the boss. This person, is all too happy to serve his creator. What is the most important attribute a bondservant can possess? Obedience. The Lord tells you what the gospel message is. He asks you to obey it, and you do, and now you are in 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week service to him. Now, do you serve? Not always. Why? Because right after you're saved, you're still thinking the old way. You don't know, perhaps, that you've been made into a new creation and that God the Holy Spirit is now taking over to accomplish your sanctification. So, great bondservants agree with everything the Master proposes. That's how hard the Christian way of life is. The, the Christian way of life is this hard. Yes. Excuse me? Yes. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yes. Grow by means of grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's how hard it is. Is it hard? It's not hard. 
But we make it hard. Satan wants to make it hard. It's not hard. We're doing the very thing that he refused to do. Just say yes. You are the anointed cherub who covers. You are the bodyguard of the throne. You didn't have an intermediary between you and the Lord. You could talk directly to him. You could go right into his house. You right into his throne room. And what did you do with that gift? You were gorgeous, brilliant. And what did you do with that gift, Satan? You rejected the one who created you. You rejected the one who gave you all of that. You said no. We say yes. Believers in Christ say yes to everything. And we, we beg for gifts like you got. Well, a bondservant, you are a bondservant, whether you know it or not. And what you need to do is learn how you're going to choose to serve your Lord. Paul is called. In that verse, he said he is called. He said by calling an apostle. What does it mean to be called? Because you, as a believer in Christ, are called. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14 says this. Many are called. Few are chosen. Many are called. Few are chosen. Being called means you are invited to a privilege. When you hear the gospel message, you're being called. You're being invited to the privilege of being saved. And being saved is a privilege. And those who are chosen, the chosen ones, respond positively to God's salvation offer, to God's gospel message. And how do they respond? Yes. Yes, please. Thank you. Being called also means that God has a calling attached to your life when you become a believer in Christ. As a pastor, no matter what people say, no matter how people attack a pastor, the pastor was called by God even before he was in his mother's womb, and the pastor was personally selected to serve God by teaching others who the Lord is, how the Lord thinks, and how what the Lord thinks can be applied to your life so that you can have a life beyond your wildest dreams. Well, I ask you, believers in Christ, what has God called you to do? Do you spend five minutes of your day thinking about what God may have called you to do? Because he didn't just give you salvation and say, okay, you got that, I'll see you in heaven. He said, here it is, I'm call- I called you, you responded, you are chosen, and now it's time to go to work. Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship. You are a piece of art when you respond to his gospel message. Selected to do divine good works. It's time to go to work. What does it mean to be set apart? That was the next thing Paul said in the first verse. What does it mean to be set apart? It means to be separated by God to a completely new life. You are a new creation set apart to a completely new life. The old life has passed away. It died. Now the new life has come. And God the Holy Spirit is the one responsible for you executing your new life, for you succeeding at your new life. God never left anything up to you. He knew what would happen if he left it up to you. If he left it up to you, you would screw it up. 
And he is not going to let you screw up your salvation. He is not going to let you screw up your sanctification. He is going to walk you right to the victory. He gave you the victory. And you just need to say, yes, yes, thank you, yes. That's it. The Christian life is a relationship with Christ. The Lord gives us a race to run as Christians. And we do it willingly. The set-apart ones have critical questions to answer in this life. And when you answer these questions, when you don't run from these questions, you really start to understand what it means to be a Christian. What are the questions? Who are you? Who are you? Oh, you're nobody. You're just a child of God. You're just in union with Christ. You're just redeemed. You're just reconciled. You're just regenerated. You're just a saint. Who are you? You're a bad mother, as my Jamaican friends would say. Where did you come from? You came from heaven. You came from the hand of God. Where are you going? Absent from the body and face to face with the Lord in a place of no more sorrow, no more tears. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come, a place exceeding and abundantly beyond anything you could ever ask or think. I called my cousin yesterday. And I was saying, hey, man, we're going to be sad when we get to heaven, when we find out all the people who are in our, lot, in our family that aren't there. He said, why are you going to be negative like that, man? Why are you going to be negative? I'm not being negative. And every time I talk to this cousin, I evangelize to him. And yesterday I knew why God the Holy Spirit keeps me evangelizing to him because I said to him, he, he grew up Roman Catholic, and I said, Harold, you know that the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism is not the Jesus Christ of biblical Christianity. Man, why are you saying that? Why are you bagging on the Catholics? I'm not bagging on the Catholics, but I swear to God, as much as I've evangelized to you, if when I get to heaven you're not there, I'm going to come down to the lake of fire and kick your ass. Because I've told this guy over and over and over these things. And he has told me he believes in Jesus Christ over and over and over again. But my question is still, which one? The Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism, who is not the Savior of the world, who did not finish the salvation of all mankind at the, at the cross. So a priest has to help them every day by converting a bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Give me a break. How did how 1.3 billion people really actually believe that crap? They don't know. And why don't they know, Denny? They study the catechism. It's there. It's there in writing. See, that's what the great thing is about the Bible. The Bible's in writing. You can sit there and you can examine it. They study the catechism. But when they're in the catechism of the Catholic Church uh, sessions, they're in a coma. They're asleep. That's right. They're asleep. They're not paying attention. They don't know what it is. Oh, if you leave the Catholic Church, you're going to hell. No, you're not. Leaving the Catholic Church would be the greatest thing you ever did for yourself. Oh, well, why are you bagging on the Catholics? I'm not. I'm telling the truth. Go look at the Bible. See what the Bible has to say. And then you come back and tell me what I'm bagging on. And if I am bagging on the Catholic Church, I have the right to do it because I spent 21 years in that lie believing it. Amen? Yeah, I'll bag on it.
because I don't want any of my friends. I remember my Christian friends used to just keep evangelizing to me and keep evangelizing to me and keep telling me, come out of the beast. Come out of there. I said, hey, man, I already believe in Jesus Christ. And I did. I, I became a believer when I was eight. And then I became a Catholic. Oh, man. Oh, man. The set-apart ones have to answer these questions. What's the next one? If you're going to heaven, how will you get there? The Lord Jesus Christ will personally escort you through your very own death-shadowed valley. That's how you'll get there. And if you're escorted into heaven by the sovereign God of the universe, it is a guarantee that you'll get there. St. Peter is not sitting at the pearly gates with a, an admission book. That's a bunch of crap. Why would the Lord select someone who betrayed him to be at a gate? There aren't any gates in heaven. There's no need for a gate in heaven. And then the tough question, what is your purpose in life? What are you called to do? Stop avoiding the answer to the question. When I ask you what your spiritual gift is, stop hiding. Stop avoiding the question. Find out. Because God the Holy Spirit is extremely willing to reveal it to you. Stop avoiding it. What's the gospel message? That's another thing Paul mentions in this verse. You see how power-packed this verse is? You see, this just this verse, the passage is loaded. What is the gospel message? It is a gift to you from the source of God. The gospel message and its offer. Do not come from men. Do not come from gurus that people like to worship. The Pope, the Dalai Lama, Joseph Smith, Taze Russell, John Calvin. Who are these people? They're not God. The gospel message comes from God. The gospel messages that come from these men are distorted, lies, because they've allowed themselves to be the instruments of Satan, the enemy of God. In Christianity, the Lord, God the Son, does all the work, and you receive the benefit. There is no religion that tells you, hey, you want to be saved? You don't have to do anything. <laughs> There's no religion that tells you that. Every religion tells you, you got it, you got it, you got it. The seven pillars, the seven sacraments, the five, that, the, the eight steps to enlightenment, whatever, man. The Lord says, believe 98 times in the Gospel of John. Just believe and you will be saved. Just take my word for it and you will be saved. So easy. So easy. Easy for you. Because it wasn't easy for the Lord, God, the Son, to humiliate himself by becoming 100% man, to live 33 years sinlessly, and then to go to a cross and experience the most humiliating death in the history of mankind as if he was some kind of criminal. All for the purpose of saving you. It was not easy for him. But because it wasn't easy for him, it's very easy for you. When you believe in Christ, God the Holy Spirit baptizes you. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's the only baptism that matters. 
You can get dunked in water and have oily water poured into your eyes. All you want, it does nothing. And then God, the Holy Spirit, at the baptism of the Spirit, places you into a permanent union with Jesus Christ, a union you can't get out of no matter what. Wherever you go after that, that Jesus Christ goes with you. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father right this very minute. So believers in Christ, where are you? You are seated at the right hand of God the Father very minute, this very minute. That doesn't mean anything to you at this point. But it will become increasingly obvious over the course of your lifetime how significant that is to you. The gospel was promised beforehand. It was promised before Jesus even came to the earth as the God-man. The gospel is about God the Son. And in human form, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. The gospel message is not an invitation to clean up your life. You can't clean up your life. You have never been successful at cleaning up your life. The gospel message is an invitation to let God clean up your life because he can do it in an instant. He's really good at it. He never fails. So put away your morals and your integrity and your pseudo self-righteousness and let God be the righteousness, the integrity, and the morals for you. All right, we, we, we keep going with this power pack. Verse number one, what's a minister? It's a person who nurtures you by teaching you the word of God. There's a lot in that first verse. All of it applies to you. And all of it demands that you reflect intensely on its truth. You are called. You are set apart. You have the gospel message. You have questions to answer about your life. You are ministers of God's gospel, and you get a chance to, the privilege to spread it all over the world. Romans 1, 2. And this is the gospel message that God the Father promised beforehand to the human race through his prophets and the holy scriptures of the Old Testament. What does it mean to be saved? That's what the gospel message teaches, what it means to be saved. Paul describes it in this letter from start to finish. God does everything by plan. And Paul reveals God's plan. Do you plan? Do you make decisions about what it takes to be an effective Christian? Mm, maybe. Probably not. Romans 1.3, a gospel message. Concerning God the Father's Son, the Lord, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh is true humanity whose name is Jesus Christ. He came down the the line of David through 14 different people who were completely depraved. He did not come here as some royal, royal and pick only the perfect lines to come from. He picked true humanity in all their depravity and he came from that line. Why is it important to know, then, that the, God, that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man and one person? It, it's because it's important for you to know he's undiminished. He is complete. He is completely God and completely man. He is perfect in every respect in both of those realms. And there is not a thing that's impossible for him. He indwells you. He's with you at all times. If you're a believer in Christ, 
And the question is simple. Are you counting on him? Do you spend your faith in him? When all from the outside besets you and knocks you down and punches you and hurts you, do you then turn to him and say, I have complete faith that you've already given me the victory and that you're going to continue to reveal that victory and not only to me, but you're going to make a table for me in the face of my enemies and they're going to get to sit there and watch my cup overflowing. Amen? Romans 1, 4. And Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with divine power by means of his resurrection from the dead. He resurrected himself from the dead because God the Father gave him the power to do it. And God the Holy Spirit provided an amazing assist. And Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with divine power by means of his resurrection from the dead, accomplished through the enabling power of the God who is the Spirit of holiness, God the Holy Spirit. We're talking about this Jesus Christ, our Lord, God the Son. What is the significance of the Lord's resurrection from the dead? He proved his deity. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. He is deity. He is the central figure in divine history. He is the only way to get to heaven. He is God. No man has ever done anything like what he has done, especially not being resurrected from the dead, despite many over the course of time claiming to be God. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Through which Christ I, Paul, have received from God the Father both grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ's person. A Jew who was Jewish in every sense of the word is selected to go to the Goetia, to go to the scum, to go to the Gentiles and spread the gospel message to the Gentiles all over the world. What is an apostle? He's someone God sends out with the divine power and the divine authority to preach. And Paul was an apostle with the divine authority to go out and preach the gospel message, the promise of salvation to everyone who believes at the behest of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Romans 1.6 Among whom you saints in Rome as believers in Christ, are also the possession of Jesus Christ by calling. What is a saint? It's a holy person from the source of God. All believers in Christ are saints. Holy, only because God made them so. And Paul is proud of the Roman churches because the Lord, through them, fired an arrow right into the belly of the beast, right into the atheist, right into the sexually immoral, right into the scumbag corruption place called Rome. And even today, Rome is even worse than it was back then. It has its own zip code. The Vatican has its own zip code, and it is the center of all rejection of Jesus Christ. And it will continue to be that until the Lord comes down and takes over this planet and rules it again for himself and roots that garbage out of his kingdom. Romans 1, 7. 
And this letter is written to all of you who are the divinely loved ones of God the Father, you believers in Christ living in Rome, saints by calling, the set-apart ones. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be beloved? God loves you unconditionally, forgives you totally, and allows you to make mistakes as you learn. And my question for you Christians is, are you learning? What did you learn from this first passage? What did you learn about how God sees you, feels about you, and how he has gifted you? What did you learn? Is it sinking in? Are you soaking it up? Can you go stand in front of a mirror right now and look at yourself as a believer in Christ and just know how God sees you? He sees this finished product. That's absolutely amazing. And can you reject your own thoughts about yourself, which are just distortions that have been perverted by the flesh in you, who is telling you all the things you're not every single moment of every day? So as you study this biblical letter, ask yourself these kind of questions and watch God the Holy Spirit answer every one of them. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. At the cross, the Lord taught us the meaning of sacrifice. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell Right. And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody For the world to see. 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what is God's message to you in the first passage of Romans? What is God's message to you in the first passage of Romans? Well, did Jesus Christ ever think about money? Rarely. What the Lord did think about was giving. He also thought about providing. And as you think about giving today and every day, let your attitude reflect the Lord's giving attitude as communicated in Acts chapter 20, verse 35 which says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ who himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Your giving provides. There are people we don't even know who benefit from Barah Ministries. Since you benefit from the Lord's thoughts in these Bible lessons, it just makes sense to contribute to the workers who communicate his thoughts to you. Give generously, just as the Lord gives to you. And watch what the Lord credits back to your account. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Can you hear me? Check, 
Chip. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Brown Ministries. I'm blessed to be here because we know our real source of power. We know that it's God. We know that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this world that we're surrounded by is Satan and his power. And a lot of times we give power to him. We give it to him. We give him this, his own counterfeit um, omnipotence by letting him take root in our own soul and our act actions and our, our thoughts, our decisions, and our actions. And I heard on the radio the other day that more people, a majority of people, would rather use air freshener than clean something. So in a house, they'd rather use an air freshener and just mask right over it and do the easy thing, not the right thing, right? They'd rather not clean it or let the Lord renew it, but they'd just spray over it and mask it, you know, almost like overlooking red flags, overlooking bad habits. And, you know, it, that's very similar to taking a, basically taking your, your uh, bathroom tiles and painting them black to match the mold rather than fixing it. <laughs> You're just validating bad behaviors by not doing anything or not confronting it. And in a similar way, we can, uh, you, it's like I've seen people where they tile right over linoleum floors. They'll tile right on the vinyl. That's not doing it right. That's not doing it the correct way. And it's very similar to us. We do the same thing where we will basically avoid confrontation and avoid doing things that we know are right and not do it correctly. And, you know, when you do that flooring, you're supposed to tear that up. So you get a good bond to the, to the foundation and not something where you have this layer of, of corruption in between. And so we see that in our lives where we basically overlook things, we validate behaviors, and we avoid, and it causes problems. And you can see excuse me, from 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we believers in Christ know that we are children of God and that the whole world lies in the power of Satan, the evil one. And so that's why you give to Barah, because you know it's the correct thing to do. You know that it helps others that are having problems, and it's helping others learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so thank you for doing that, and thank you for supporting our pastor, and let's have a strong 2024. Amen. Amen. back to the Lord's Supper celebration at the cross. The Lord taught us to the meaning of sacrifice. At the cross, the Lord taught us the meaning of sacrifice. Sacrifice. 
Does the name Timothy J. McCarthy mean anything to you? Probably not. It meant a lot to late American President Ronald Reagan. In 1981, this courageous Secret Service agent foiled an assassination attempt by John Hinckley, stepping in front of a bullet intended for the president. Sacrifice. Does the name Milton Olive mean anything to you? Probably not. He meant a lot to a platoon of his peers. In 1965, at the age of 18, Olive sacrificed his life to save fellow soldiers. Olive and four other soldiers were in a Vietnamese jungle when a grenade was thrown into their midst. Olive grabbed the grenade in his hand and fell on it, absorbing the blast with his body. His complete disregard for his own safety prevented additional loss of life for the members of his platoon. Sacrifice. What is sacrifice? It's the act of giving up something valuable for a greater purpose. It's something done for others, both voluntarily and gladly, for their sake. The act of giving up something, does the name the Lord Jesus Christ mean anything to you? If you're a believer in Christ, it does. He made the ultimate sacrifice for you personally, by name. John chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Greater unconditional love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Sacrifice. God the Father experienced the same sacrifice. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his unconditional love toward all mankind. And then while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. God the Father chose to sacrifice his beloved Son. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die so that we could live. Sacrifice. The sacrifice of Christ atoned for the sins of all mankind. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, the Lord says, Because of my sacrifice, sin shall no longer be the master over you, believers in Christ. For you are not under the law. You are under grace. Sacrifice. The Lord's work on the cross is the ultimate sacrifice. It was a blood sacrifice. So here's my question for you. What's it like for you when you stop to reflect, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for you? A blood sacrifice. A suffering incomparable in divine history. Sacrifice. The Lord is a teacher, and he has been teaching us about sacrifice from the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 says this, After they sinned and covered themselves with plants, fig leaves, and they being Adam and Eve, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. The death of another creature provided clothing for the benefit of Adam and Eve. The leaves, the plants did nothing. As Cain found out, 
The sacrifice Cain brought to the Lord was plants. The sacrifice Abel brought was an animal sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice was completely acceptable. Cain's was not. And so Cain, in jealousy, killed his brother Abel and then asked the stupid question, what, am I my brother's keeper? Sacrifice. The Lord asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now think about that for a second. The Lord waits promises Abraham a son when he's around 75 and then doesn't give him the son until about the time when Abraham is 100 when he was sexually dead and his wife was barren and he gives him the son that he promised him and then the Lord asks Abraham to sacrifice his son think about that Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 and 2 now it came about that the Lord God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. And the Lord God said, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. The Lord was asking Abraham to sacrifice. Abraham agreed to it. Genesis chapter 22, verses 10 to 13 Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Genesis 22, 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Genesis 22, 12. And the Lord God said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you respect the wishes of your Lord God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, I guess Abraham figured. But Abraham knew, if you read that whole passage, Abraham knew going up that the Lord would never make him kill his son. Genesis twenty-two, thirteen. Then Abraham raised his eyes, and behind him he saw a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the burnt offering in place of his son. The Lord God provided a sacrificial ram to save Isaac, and God the Father provided a sacrificial lamb to save us. John the Baptist called the Lord what he is. In John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold, as he pointed to Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Adam's sin, the sin that created spiritual death. Sacrifice. Enduring crucifixion is a sacrifice. Suffering on the cross was the Lord's sacrifice. And we celebrate him and his sacrifice today. As believers in Christ, we are allowed to suffer for his namesake. And when people took look at Christians, they don't see the suffering, but we suffer. The Lord asks us to follow his example in suffering. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Sacrifice. Luke nine twenty-four. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, 
But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. It's just so funny to me. The people that I know who give up their lives for the people that they love. And while they're going through that at the time, it just hurts so much. I experienced that. What I also experienced is the other side. I experienced the Lord restoring everything to me in abundance. And so it requires patience on our part to wait for the Lord. Christians suffer so that we can know through the testing of experience what Christ endured. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us the meaning of sacrifice. Thank you for teaching us how to sacrifice. Thank you for allowing us to be hurt from sacrifice. Because in allowing us to sacrifice, you teach us who you are and what you endured so that we can get to know you more intimately. Bread and wine. Let's enjoy the elements together. The Lord gave us these things to remember him. We will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, verses 26 to 28, tells us the reason the Lord wants us to celebrate this meal together. While the apostles were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing... He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is being broken for you. And when Jesus had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. My blood, pour it out for whosoever, for the forgiveness of sin. We celebrate to remember. Jesus Christ died as our sin substitute. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead to prove his deity. Jesus Christ will come again to gather us unto himself. Jesus forgives us once and for all time through his work on the cross. We celebrate and we are grateful. Enjoy the elements as we listen to June Murphy remind us of the value of sacrifice and suffering with her song, When You Suffer. If the world comes to hate you, remember it hated me first. I came to seek and save the lost, not to condemn or hurt. If you are persecuted, you should not consider it strange. Remember what I've done on the cross, my perspective you can gain. When you suffer, suffer for my name, consider it an honor. Just remember what I've done. 
Before my shearers, let there be no doubt that I was separated from my father for three dark hours on the cross. Do not forget the privilege, the privilege of counting the cost.
The closing moments of this lesson could be the ten most important minutes of your life. You'll be introduced to the good news concerning how you can spend all eternity in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life. Well, even if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you still matter to God. He created you, you're one of his creatures, and he wants the highest and best for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The bad news is that everyone is born in a state of unrighteousness, including you. You were born physically alive and spiritually dead as an ungodly, unrighteous unbeliever. You were born on Satan's team. In God's eyes, you were born a sinner, and you need a Savior. It's not your fault, but it is your circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. To God's enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world, you don't matter at all. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a teethless, roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And you are the someone on Satan's list. Satan despises you so much that he doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to be with God in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. Instead, he wants you to be with him in the lake of fire. And he wants you so badly that he sends false teachers with false teachings to deceive you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, the Lord himself warns you about this. Beware of the false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, because you are a sheep as a believer in Christ. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. When an animal is ravenous, it's an, it has an insatiable desire to tear you apart. So it is with false teachers who pretend to be for you, yet truly they want you to be twice the sons of hell that they are. The gospel message offers good news to rescue you from the kingdom of death and darkness you were born into, inviting you to be born again to the spiritual life available in God's kingdom of light. You can choose to be on God's team. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 highlight Jesus' mission concerning you. God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on the cross so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but has eternal life. For God the Father did not send God the Son into the world to judge the world, but the Father sent the Lord, God the Son, into the world that the world might be saved through him. God wants you to respond positively to the good news of this gospel message so that he can save you. Who is this God who saves you? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 tell us 
For I, the Apostle Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. If a gospel message makes it sound like you have to work to get to heaven, it's a false gospel message from a false teacher. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says you don't have to work to be saved. If salvation is by grace, a free gift from God, and of course it is, it's no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is a free gift is no longer grace. It's not free. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says you can't work for salvation. Now to the one who works for salvation, his wage for his work is not credited to his account as a favor from the source of God, but his wage is credited as what is due for the work. Your hardest work is not perfect enough to earn you a spot in heaven. So relax. You can get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life free of charge. Acts chapter 16 verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God. You and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 36, warns you and invites you. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. If you choose, you can spend an eternity with God's enemy, Satan, in the lake of fire, or you can have the free gift of eternal life right this minute. Right where you sit right now, you can, God can save you if you let him. You can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, exhort you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, confessing that he is God. And if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. There's a consequence for rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, the Lord says, The sons of Satan's kingdom, unbelievers, will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a great, graceful thing for God to provide a home for all those who reject a relationship with him. Many parents are false teachers leading their children to an eternity in the lake of fire. Do you want to know if you're a good parent? Just ask yourself a simple question. Are you influencing your children to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe? He is the only way to get to heaven, according to John 14, 6. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. And I am the truth of the gospel message and the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. There's no time to waste. God wants you. And if you want to go to heaven when you close your eyes in this life, simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and you will be saved. Take his word for it concerning salvation and the resurrection life is yours, free of charge. Well, let's close with some music. The Lord cares about you. And because he cares for you, he doesn't want you to worry about anything. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, he says, For this reason I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you, believers in Christ, and to everyone, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air like sparrows. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns. They don't harvest. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they, are you not worth much more than they? Of course you are. Here's a reminder from Corey Ashbury in his song, Sparrows. The sparrows not worried about tomorrow or the troubles to come. The lilies not thinking about the seasons, the drought or the flood. The tree that's planted by the
Well, that's for sure. He takes good care of us. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for this life-changing book, the Bible, the Word of God. As believers in Christ, we have fixed our hope on you and your Word, and the Bible is a constant source of hope. Thank you for the lesson today, which reminds us to go deeper than the surface in our study of the Word. Allow us to proclaim your gospel message everywhere we go. And help us to remember that when we are evangelizing, it is God the Holy Spirit who is doing the work, not us. So help us trust in him. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Discussing the lesson in prayer circle is next. Join us live or on Zoom immediately following this lesson. If you've got biblical questions, ask the pastor. Pastor at BarahMinistries.com is the email address. Keep on studying the Word of God daily. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.